episode 15 of Rainbow Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Dupuy, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Today, we're joined by Jamel Howard of PFLAG Howard County. Um, welcome, Jamel. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you tell, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your role in, um, in PFLAG? Absolutely. Well, I am currently the vice president of Howard County's PFLAG chapter. I'm also the membership director, so essentially uh, my roles are building community partnerships, helping to plan events. I sit on our diversity and inclusion committee, I represent the chapter in different uh, capacities, and I make sure that we continue to have our members send out mailing campaigns and try to solicit donations from people in the community to keep our chapter afloat. Uh, I'm also currently in consideration to become the Mid-Atlantic Regional Director for wow. PFLAG. So that would have me as sort of a conduit for communication and resources for all the PFLAG chapters in Maryland, Delaware, D.C., and Virginia. Wow, that's awesome. That's going to be a, a big change for you if you get that. Uh, when is, When do they make a decision? That will be at the end of the month. Okay, awesome. We'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Um, will, that change, will that change your role at um, Howard County PFLAG at all? or No, I, I intend to continue in my role at the Howard County PFLAG chapter. Uh, essentially, it's really just communicating with the chapters uh, th- about what's going on at national, sharing resources among the chapters, trying to plan ways where we can help each other and really strengthen our chapters um, relationships with their communities, especially minority communities, as that is part of PFLAG's mission to reach out and let everybody know that it's for everybody. That's awesome. Um, now, you're pretty passionate about PFLAG. When did you, when did you get involved? I got, in P, I got involved in PFLAG in late 2016. Uh, I had just gotten back from China, and I was looking for ways to get involved in my community. And Sue Garner, who was the then president of our PFLAG chapter, invited me to come with her to the Youth Opportunities Fair at Longreach High School. And I tabled there with her and the reactions of people uh, learning about the organization and what we do. It was really a wonderful moment. I've had a few people on the podcast now that have mentioned um, that PFLAG really was you know, there to support them when they were teens, um, because they didn't necessarily have uh, supports in place at school. So they really uh, looked to um, their peers through PFLAG. Um, Was PFLAG something you were involved in prior to uh, 2016? Uh, No, it wasn't. I'm 24 years old. Uh, Yeah. Uh, No, I actually was not aware of PFLAG's presence in the county until I had returned. And um, it's interesting because I was looking at the paper that was published uh, in my high, our high school newspapers uh, my senior year where they put all the superlatives in it. And right there where I would have never looked, I saw an ad for the Metro PFLAG chapter. And you know it completely went over my head then but if I had known that it existed, then I more than likely would have gotten involved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's one cool thing, I guess, about, uh, you know, being young and being an advocate uh, for PFLAG now is that, 
you know, you, we can, you can reach out to the community and kind of get more student involvement at, at this stage, you know? Yes, you can. And there's a lot more young people that are interested. Uh, Chris Hefty is the facilitator for our RYA and, you know, he definitely has more and more young people coming to him, uh, reaching out for help and just looking for a place to belong and talk to people who actually understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, I, I didn't learn about uh, Howard County PFLAG until um, I started working in Howard County, which was uh, 20 years ago, maybe. Um, but prior to that, when I was a teenager, I remember my friend and I, when we were in high school, driving to uh, Baltimore City. Uh, they had a, um, it was called, there was a bookstore called Lambda Rising. And um, above the bookstore, um, they had uh, meetings um, you know, for folks to, to join and be part of. And, um, you know, I think it's just nice to ha- be able to have that support in place for, uh, just to be part of your community, you know? It is. Having people that are actually there for you and understand the struggles that you're going through, especially when you're at a young age, you know, there's GSAs popping up in our middle schools. There's efforts to get them in our elementary schools and, when you have organizations out there that can help support you in those efforts and they can help support you on your journey and understanding yourself and finding out how you can contribute to your community, it, it really gives you, you know, a sense of pride in your community. Now you went to, uh, you went to Oakland Mills high school. Yes. And what was that experience like, you know, being a, an LGBTQ kid, at Oakland Mills back, I'm trying to think now how many years ago that would be. So that would be uh, six to 10 years ago. Yes, I believe it. I graduated in 2013. Um, And I I can say I was pretty blessed to have a very pleasant experience in high school. Um, I didn't have many problems uh, with, you know, people not accepting me for who I was. I can't say that that's the same for everybody. Uh, Oakland Mills was really a small community. You know, everybody knew each other. Our principal lived down the street. I remember one time I walked past his house and he was roasting a pig in the front yard. Oh my it, gosh. It was just one of those things. It was just one of those communities where you felt close to everybody in it. And I, I, I feel for people who grew up and they didn't have that sense of community. And it's part of the reason why I've been so active in promoting LGBTQ rights and trying to educate people on what it is to not just be tolerant, but also inclusive, because everybody deserves to grow up feeling safe where they are. Mm -hmm. And safe as they are. Yes. Um, You know, the, the feeling of, is it okay to be who I am? Um, not necessarily that uh, you wouldn't be accepted by um, friends, but just, you know, being out and about in a community of people or, you know, going to the grocery store and, uh, you know, what have you. I'll never forget. Um, I was, you know, we had a pride, not pride shirt, well, pride shirts basically made up for our uh, GSA at our school. And, um, you know, I'm actually wearing one of them today. I own like seven of them, I think by now. Um, but, uh, I'll never forget there, you know, we go to the, 
I think I mentioned this in the last the last podcast actually that we go to Costco a lot and uh you know one of my favorite people at the Costco she um you know she was uh she's always kind of like down like we were all I'm always friendly with her or whatever and I remember I'll never forget the day that I was wearing my pride shirt and I walked up to check out at the counter and she looked up and she saw that rainbow bear and her face just lit up and that was just like kind of like open the doors for us to have like this conversation. Cause you know, I, I don't know that, you know, she knew that, you know, that I was part of the community or not. Um, but I think kind of like when you put it out there and you're more vocal about who you are and who you support, um, that kind of opens doors for more relationships and a better, uh, understanding between people too. It does. Now last year was the first, uh, Howard County pride, and we did talk a little bit to um, uh, Chris Hefty about his involvement with that. Um, as the vice president of PFLAG, now I'm, I know PFLAG was a large supporter um, of that. Um, what were some of your other roles in the creation of that um, event? Well, under the previous administration in Howard County, there was a LGBTQ roundtable. And uh, one of the things that was always on our agenda was really promoting the LGBTQ community in Howard County. Uh, so one of the ideas I had was, why don't we have our own pride? Um, you know, previously, you really had two options in Maryland. You could go to Baltimore or you could go to D.C. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea was for those of us that don't live in big cities and maybe you might not be super comfortable around 30, 40, 50,000 people um, outside all day in an area that you might not be familiar with. So the idea was to have something for us here at home that really reflected the values and sentiments of our own community. And so we had support from the previous administration uh, and as vice president of PFLAG, uh, we were able to use PFLAG as our uh, hosting organization. So I gathered a committee of people. We started planning in July of 2017. Uh, In January, we had our, January of 2018, we had our Gay Day at the Mill event. And in June of 2018, we had our official Pride kickoff event at the Carol Baldwin Hall, uh, where we essentially started our fundraising and advertising for the event. A lot of people got interested. Many people joined our committee after that, and it just went from there. Uh, it was definitely a team effort. There was no way that I could have done it all by myself. So there's people like Chris, Akbi, Steve, and Bob, Alex, Alicia, people that came out and really dedicated an extraordinary amount of their time and energy to make this happen. That's fantastic. Um, Because I know, you know, just from, um, you know, having the Hoko Rainbow Conference, it's hard to uh, gather people that have the same passion and uh, excitement, you know. It is. Um, Um, So that's awesome. Um, How did you get your, how did you get that group of people together? Uh, Initially, we went out and just sent out uh, notifications on Facebook, let people know what was going on. There were a few people from the 
uh, LGBTQ work group who joined on, some people from PFLAG who joined on. Uh, so it was really a call out on social media to people saying, come join us. We need your help. Mm-hmm. And what did you learn from kind of hosting the, um, you know, the first uh, HOCO Pride, um, you know, after the event, kind of like reflecting back, like, oh, was there anything that you would have done differently or um, changed? Um, you know, there's a lot of things. We did a sort of, we had a review meeting after the first Pride and ways that we could improve. Uh, we definitely wanted to improve on our fundraising. I think in the beginning, we did not think it would be as big an, of an event as it turned out to be. You know, our initial projections were, oh, we're going to see maybe one or 2,000 people here, and then 10,000 people ended up coming. That's crazy. Uh, That's yes. Awesome. It was crazy. awesome, but it was definitely a logistically crazy for all of us. Uh, so, you know, one of the wonderful things that happened after the first Pride was when uh, the Downtown Columbia Partnership and the Inner Arbor Trust approached us and said, we'd love for you to uh, make Howard County Pride's official home, Downtown Columbia. And, you know, that immediately solved a lot of our issues with parking and shade because it was a very hot day, the day we had Pride. And I do love Centennial Park, but it is not known for its abundance of shade. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know what? I think that's a pride thing in general, isn't it? Like, if you're not melting, is it yeah. pride? Yeah, that uh, that's a thing. But like I said, when we wanted to do something that reflected our values as a community and what we expect here, shade is one of them. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, being comfortable. Um, now when, do you recall when it was that you experienced your first pride? Actually, my first pride was DC pride right before we had the first Howard County pride. Oh, wow. So that was the first time that you had experienced pride. That was the first time I experienced pride. So there I was planning a whole pride for a county and I hadn't been to one yet. Oh, have you, so you have not been to a Baltimore Pride yet? No, I have not. Okay, so you have to put that on the to-do list, too. We can go to, like, all the Prides. I do, because technically I'm on the board of directors for the organization that hosts Baltimore Pride, so I need to yes. get out there. Yes, you do. It's awesome. Um, it's been a little while um, for us. Uh, we haven't been since our oldest was um, was younger, um, but... It's, I like the, the family feel of pride as well as kind of like having, you know, there were separate events. Um, so, you know, there was things for adults to do, you know, on uh, Saturdays. And then I like that the Sundays was always a family day of at the park. So what was, so when you went to uh, DC pride, like what, uh, you know, like what emotions kind of like went through your head? <sighs> Well, it was enormous. I definitely was thinking to myself, wow, could you imagine if Howard County Pride was this big? Um, it was a little bit intimidating, honestly. I'm I'm not the kind of person who really enjoys super large crowds and a lot of noise. I, I tend to be the 
person hiking in the woods by myself. Uh, so having all those people around can be a little bit um, constricting. But at the same time, when you see why all those people come out, it's also uplifting. And you, again, you feel another sense of community that without that type of event, without organizers who, you know, do all that they can, you just wouldn't feel. Mm -hmm. So how did you make Howard County Pride? I mean, you, you talked about having that, you know, that Howard County community. And I think um, unless you're from Howard County or you work in Howard County, it's hard to understand kind of like the vibes that you get from being in Howard County. Um, but when, you know, you put together the event and you talked about how, you know, it was important to have that Howard County community together. What do you think made it different, you know, to have the Howard County versus let's say, um, you know, Baltimore pride or DC pride or another like Frederick pride? I would say that actually Frederick Pride is pretty similar to what we were going for. A lot of our planning revolved around the previous efforts of Frederick Pride. Um, We were completely focused on making it a family-friendly atmosphere, a place where you could bring your kids, you could bring your grandparents, you could bring your dog. You could bring a duck on a leash if you wanted to. It was really, we were looking to make a calming atmosphere where, again, people could feel comfortable being themselves and feel comfortable being with the other people in their community. So our uh, motto for this year's Pride is your identity, our community. And that that's really what we try to do, make people understand that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what's going on in the world, you are who you are and you belong here with us. Mm-hmm. And um, g- slightly going back to what you asked is something that we might want to improve. We did hear a lot of people say, we love that it was a family-friendly atmosphere, but we'd really appreciate it if there was some alcohol at the next Pride. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I guess you're going to need to have like a, a special tent. I know I remember in D.C. they had like a, a special tent and you couldn't leave the tent area though. So it was a little, I don't know how that would work out. Like, Yes, we were, we were working on it. Um, Hysteria Brewing in Columbia had offered to create a special pride brew for the event and uh, the Inner Arbor Trust was going to help us set up the area within the park where uh, we could actually have this going on. So it, it was definitely in the works, uh, but, you know, life happens and coronavirus means stay in the house. Yes. Um, I, what do you think about the restrictions kind of like lifting a little bit here now that we enter phase two um, tomorrow? I am grateful for the fact that, you know, everybody is trying to stay safe, that we have our local and state government that are working to make sure that, you know, while they're trying to keep everybody safe, they understand that there are businesses that really do need to be opening again because there are people without their jobs. There are people who really have no other options right now. But we also want to make sure that the members of our community are safe. And that's why rather than 
postponing Pride to a later time this year, we've decided to just go virtually this month and not have any physical uh, meetings or events this year uh, for the sole purpose of we don't know when this is going to be over and we'd rather be overly cautious than reckless with the people that are putting their trust in us. Absolutely. So what do you have lined up for this month for those out there listening that want to join in Pride virtually? Okay. Well, uh, actually, on the 6th, we have a Tea Time drag show with a few mixed performances. On the 13th, there will be musical performances throughout the day on our pages. Um, The 19th, there will be a Rainbow Juneteenth celebration. Uh, On the 21st, we have scheduled an interview with Gay Dads for Father's Day. On the 27th, our Rainbow Youth and Allies will be leading events for the whole day. Uh, That is the youth group uh, that is operated through PFLAG. And on the 30th, um, we have two events scheduled, and that is where Chris and myself get interviewed uh, talking about Pride, and we have a uh, sort of town hall Q&A session with uh, Rich Gibson's state attorney office to discuss uh, some of their methods and ways of reaching out to the LGBTQ community and the African-American community and how their efforts are having a positive impact on people. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That sounds fabulous. Um, Now you kind of, you jogged my memory over something as you were, as you were speaking. Uh, I have a little suggestion for you for once things reopen um, one of the f- most fun events that I think that I participated in was at um, the Hippo downtown Baltimore. Of course, it's closed now, but it was such a fun place to hang out and have fun. Um, but they used to put on, I think it was Sunday, was it uh, Friday nights, Wednesday night? I don't remember. But it used to be like one night every, you know, like maybe like once or twice a month, they would do a um, drag queen bingo. That was so much fun. Um, that is definitely something that we would love to do. Um, our idea was actually to have that as an in-person event. Um, you know, last year, a bunch of ideas were floating around. There was Drag Queen Bingo. One of our favorites was Parfait with a Play. So it was like a night where everybody could come and make their own parfaits and there would be performances by some of our youth groups and um, a few of the people. Had, who were interested in actually performing at Pride last year. They wanted to do, uh, it was a play about a genderqueer uh, Native American. It was, there were definitely a lot of different things going on, but being able to have performances where people can also appreciate the theatrical arts, something that we were looking to do. Yeah, I think that would be great. I love it when uh, when drag queens host movie nights too. There's been a couple at the Creative Alliance and uh, that I've been to, and that's been super fun and interesting with the uh, the interjected commentary. Now you mentioned you were in China. What exactly were you up to in China? I'm just curious. I was an English teacher at a Montessori kindergarten. Wow, that's that's different. An English teacher in a kindergarten, a Montessori kindergarten. How did you get involved in that? 
So it actually starts in Pittsburgh, where I was having a conversation with the multicultural liaison at my university. I was attending Robert Morris University at the time. And she had told me that one of her biggest regrets was that she never got out to explore the world before she settled down and got into the work routine and had a family and everything. And I hate to say I'm impulsive, but I'm definitely impulsive. So I was like, oh, that can't be me. So after the end of that semester, I left for Mexico. I was working at a children's center and I met two young men from China and they said, if you like it here, well, you'll love it there. And me being my impulsive self said, okay. And uh, next thing I knew, I was on a flight from BWI airport to Beijing. Wow. So you went to Mexico, came back, and then went to China. Yes. And how long were you in China? About 10 or 11 months. I came back a little early because of what was going on with the election. Mm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that somebody had said to me while I was over there was they were talking about candidate Trump at the time. And, you know, the comment was basically, don't you feel safer over here and whatnot? And the answer to that was yes. And I didn't like that that was the answer. And I didn't want the community that I grew up in, the accepting and beautiful place that I knew to basically fall victim to intolerance and hate. So I made up my mind that I'd come back and dedicate myself to maintaining what I saw as the glory of Howard County, being a beautiful place where people can be themselves and come and live their best lives without fear of hatred and intolerance following them. Oh, I love that. Um, and so uh, obviously you really enjoyed it over there, but came came home to to be with family and friends during this time um i mean hopefully uh when things change and hopefully the very near future um would you ever consider going back or are you now committed to kind of just staying the course here in howard county so there was also one other reason that i felt it was time for me to come home Uh, i had a good friend of mine Uh, that I had met while I was over there. And she was also from the United States. She was from Michigan. Uh, She was a city councilwoman. She was one of the most energetic people, happy people, outgoing people that I had honestly ever met. And towards the end of my stay, she took her life um, while while we were over there. And it was actually... Not too long after her and another friend of mine returned from a trip we had taken down to Thailand and Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was hard because it was one of those things like you figure we're in this together and now we're not all together anymore. So it's not necessarily that it's painful. I'd love to go back, but... I do feel as though my place is here now. So if I were to go back, it would be for a visit, see the kids, see all the friends I made over there, but knowing in my heart that my true place is here. 
Well, I'm so sorry that you had that, that experience and that you lost your friend. Um, I think when you lose uh, someone that you know to suicide, it's um, it definitely changes you. Um, yeah. I had a friend that took his life when uh, I was 14. Um, and it was, uh, it was difficult. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, activism. Um, and, you know, it seems that that is kind of like the driving factor for you to kind of return and be present and uh, kind of move progress uh, in the right direction. Um, and recently, um, I know you participated um, in the Howard County March for Justice. Um, what was that like? It was honestly one of the most beautiful experiences I ever been a part of. Um, and I do include pride in that. Uh, you know, I was, I was working in the morning and we were having a conference call with our office actually about what had, what was going on and, um, the situation in Minneapolis. And from the beginning, I was like, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm not going to be as invested in this because I am preparing to go a march with my community. And I got that. It said it started at four. They meant it. Um, I was stuck in traffic. I went to go pick up my sister because she wanted to come as well. And um, so we got stuck in the mall traffic. The second I was able to make a U-turn, I did and went and parked across the street in one of the neighborhoods. And we started marching. I saw so many of the people I went to school with, but just the sheer number of people in our community came out to show that, you know, they stand in solidarity with the oppressed, that they feel our pain, that they might not understand it because they haven't experienced it themselves, but they know that all people are created equal and injustice and brutality have no place in our community. You know, seeing uh, Lisa Myers march with the people, seeing many friends in different positions there, it was it was really a beautiful experience. Hearing the speakers talk, hearing their experiences, it was, I suppose words can't really describe it because it was one of those things where you not only had to be there, but you had to be somebody who had a true appreciation for our community. And when you saw the way they turned out, it just made that appreciation grow even more. Yes. Um, I know that the news reported that there were several hundred people, but it, it, I think it was more like in the thousands to ten thousands to me. Oh, yes, it was. It was yeah. probably more than that, honestly, when they were almost halfway through with the speeches and there were still people marching in from the mall. You know, one of the other things that wasn't really mentioned a whole lot either was the fact that there were uh, so many elected officials that were there, as well as the, uh, you know, the police chief uh, kind of marching front and center. Um, you know, so it, I think that that really speaks a lot for Howard County, too, is that you have um, such a warm community of people joining together 
from all walks of life and also from uh, various positions. Um, and I think that that's important to have people that are in uh, elected positions to also show face and uh, be present. Um, so that that's reassuring on a lot of levels. It is. And it's another thing I really appreciate about our community. You know, during every election, candidates from both sides of the aisle go out of their way to reach out to our organization. And when they get into office, you know, sometimes you expect it to be one of those things where they just were there for a photo op. And after they get there, it's the relationship is over. But, you know, from the school system to the county executive's office, to county council members, to the sheriff's office, ever to the state's attorney's office, everybody has not just walked the walk, they've talked the talk, they've been there front and center, you know, and with one of the events that I was talking about uh, that we're going to be having this month with Rich Gibson, I sent him a Facebook message and said, do you have time to talk this week? He called me within two hours of that message. Mm-hmm. And we were able to set up the event that we're going to be having at the end of this month. You know, they're not just elected officials, they're members of our community and they appreciate everybody in this community. And that's one of the things that, you know, I appreciate most about being here, being these not just productive, but friendly and, and um, beautiful relationships with the people that we've chosen to represent us. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like kind of looking from Howard County to the rest of the country, I mean, what, is so, what do you think is so different? Um, you know, I often talk to my students, you know, I think a lot of teachers tell their students, you know, Howard County is kind of a bubble. You know, we have this uh, wonderful thing going on here. Um, but, you know, outside the bubble, uh, things are much different, you know, um, for people of color, for LGBTQ folks. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different outside of this area. Um, what do you think makes Howard County so special? Well, from uh, the thing I hear from a lot of people that aren't from Howard County is they say it's the trees. We have too many trees, so all the oxygen just makes us bubbly people. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's really hard to say. It didn't happen overnight. You know, Howard County was not and still isn't the picture of absolute justice and right. tolerance and beauty personified. There's been a lot of work and there still is a lot of work to go. But one of the things about Howard County is not long ago, but a decent amount of time ago when people heard about this sort of place where you could go and you could be in a interracial relationship or you could be in a same-sex relationship, or you could be whoever you want to be. You could be, and this is going to Jim Rouse's vision, you could be the custodian of a company, or you could be the CEO, and you could live on the same street or in the same neighborhood. They came attracted to that idea because humanity 
we want to feel welcome, we want to feel belong, and we want to feel like we can be in a place where, regardless of who you are, you still count as a member of that community. And Howard County has done a lot to make sure that that is so. Uh, you know, a lot of money gets expended in making sure that that stays a reality. But I honestly wouldn't trade it for anything else. Um, you know, my family has been in Howard County for mm, almost two centuries at this point. Oh, wow. And, you know, nobody's left. And if they have, they've come back. So I think that says a lot for the spirit of Howard County. Uh, what advice would you give to those um, younger folks and communities of color who are struggling to come out? I feel like there's a um, a little bit of a, a stigma, more of a stigma there. Is that the, you feel like that's still the case or not so much anymore? Uh, it's definitely still an issue and there is no real right answer to this because, you know, not everybody is ready to come out to their family or friends. Some people might not ever want to come out. It's it's a personal path that people have to take themselves to understand themselves. And, um, you know, it's not easy to tell somebody to just be comfortable with themselves when the rest of the world or, you know, their family is not comfortable with who they are. So I, I can't give an answer as to you know, how that can be improved, you know, we're working on it by trying to educate people, by bringing things into the forefront, by trying to make people understand that, you know, wouldn't you rather your child live in a world where they feel loved rather than where they feel like they have to hide who they are for fear of retribution and damnation by the people that they love? But it's it's an uphill battle, and we're nowhere near the top of it. Do you think that there are any steps or words of wisdom to parents of children that you know that that may or may not have uh, LGBTQ plus kids? You know, um, but what would you say to parents out there whose child might be gay or might have a friend that is queer? Uh, um, would you have any sort of advice for them at all? I would say go out of your way to get an understanding. Um, you know, PFLAG, we have our parent support groups. And a lot of times it'll be parents who will say, you know, my child has uh, just decided that they're trans and I don't know what to do, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, we tell them about our parent support group. And I think sometimes when they come to that group and they're around other parents who have been in this journey for a longer time, they're able to give them a different perspective to things. I'm not a parent. I haven't been through it. So I can't speak to what the feelings are or how they should be or shouldn't be processing it. That's something that should be asked of parents that have walked this journey with their children. But I definitely think having that community of other parents who have been through the same journey as you is 
that first step that you should take, reaching out to get an understanding of what potentially lies in the future can help you better wrap your mind of what's going on today. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think that's what's needed uh, across the board, really, with uh, whether you're a parent or not, or um, just anybody in the community, just to kind of get a sense for other people. Um, I know I had a friend, uh, you know, a while back that uh, I remember her saying to me, you know, she had posted a bunch of things on Facebook and I confronted her about it. And I was like, you know, I said, I noticed you post a lot of things about, you know, how you're against gay marriage and there's a couple other things. And um, I said, you know, I'm gay, right? And she's just like, uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm okay with you, but just not other gay people. And I'm like, how does that work? You know? Um, I think it's because people have, you know, I think once they get to know an individual, they kind of change their views about that inter- that individual, but they still have these general negative views for the community. Um, and I think that, you know, if people would reach out a little bit more or make an effort, I think it definitely requires uh, for individuals to make an effort on their part to just get to know people that we can kind of break the break the stigma and the negativity. And I mean, that goes for, you know, people of color that goes for abilities, pretty much anything, you know, if we can all kind of like break those presumptions, then we'd be a whole lot better off. I agree. And uh, I think it's just kind of like reaching across and shaking somebody's hand and having a simple conversation just to kind of start things off. So um, hopefully uh, I think that there's a lot of positive change that's coming about. I hope to continue to see positive change happen. I think it will be a lot better off. Was there anything else, words of wisdom or advice that you wanted to share or uh, any stories? Uh, I suppose the words of wisdom that I would say is just, you know, if you don't see your seat at the table, don't worry about trying to pull up a chair, build your own table. I I can't remember where I heard that from, but that's something that I've taken to heart. You know, when I looked out at the world and I saw that there weren't many seats available at the table for a young gay Black man, I decided I was just going to build my own table. And I did. And my table is as sturdy as the tables of those who didn't have room for me. And I'm happy about it. And I have seats for everybody available at my table. So that that would be the bit of wisdom that I would try to pass on. To I think that's, a, that's some great food for thought. And I think it's nice to know that when you know that people are out there building their own tables, that they are still making room for others, you know? Um, so I think that's comforting. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for all your hard work at uh, PFLAG and, and continuing to be an advocate for uh, LGBTQ folk in Howard County and soon, hopefully, the Mid-Atlantic region. Thank you very much. And I most certainly will. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.